Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. And I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Quarks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words in Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to Quarks and Conversation with Claire Whitfield. We are so excited to talk with her today about her debut novel, People of Abandoned Character, which I love, love, love that title. Yes, we're all holding it up here. <laughs> it's a historical mystery set in London, 1888, during the time the serial um, murder killer Jack the Ripper was in action. Oh, yeah, I know. And I can't wait to ask her about how she came about writing about that time frame. I know. There's so much to talk about. And this is a game of books first. We're actually talking with an author at their home in England. We've never talked to somebody in England. So I know. Great. We're going international. Oh, I love <laughs> it. We have talked to somebody in Germany. So we're, yeah. we've, we've been international before, but this is the first time in England. So, I know. And, so you know, it's too bad it's virtual, but, you know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> We're used to it now. Yep. So listen, I want to introduce Claire and then we'll get to um, talking with her. Um, Claire Whitfield is a UK-based writer living in a suburb where the main cultural landmark is a home store slash Starbucks combo. I can completely identify. I'm in a small area as well. Um, she's the wife of a tattoo artist, mother of a small benign dictator, and relies on her black Labrador for emotional stability. So that tells you a lot about Claire. <laughs> She's been a dancer, a copywriter, amateur fire breather, buyer, and mediocre weightlifter. Mediocre <laughs> weightlifter is my favorite. Um, People of Abandoned Character is her debut novel, like we discussed, and it's been coming out to rave reviews. And I happened to see on Claire's social media just yesterday that the book was shortlisted for the 2021 Goldsboro Books Glass Bell Award. And in case our listeners in the United States aren't familiar, I wasn't, so I looked it up. <laughs> the Glass Bell Award is um, an award that's given annually to a compelling novel, I love these criteria, of any genre with brilliant characterization and a distinct voice that is confidently written and assuredly re realized. Oh, yes. And we are recording this a week before um, the episode will actually come out, but it is um, the award is being given tomorrow. So we're going to wish Claire the very best of luck and congratulations to her. And yes. finally, Claire, it's so great to talk with you today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me and for the amazing introduction. I was almost impressed with myself there. <laughs> As she should be. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I'm Thank impressed. Thank you very much. So um, before we even get started with all the questions and finding out um, how this book came to pass, um, we are sharing some wine today. And Claire suggested a Sancerre, mm. and we did the best we could. And I know you have a Sancerre, Claire, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, I do. And because she's in England, now we didn't try to match them up, but I went to my local wine store and I ended up getting a Sauvignon Blanc, which is what a Sancerre is, but it doesn't come from Sancerre. It comes from 
terrain or something like that. It's close by in France. Um, but it made it a lot cheaper because the cheapest <laughs> Sancerre we had here was $25 and that didn't meet our criteria. So I ended up getting a $12 bottle of wine. Very similar. And um, how, how are the Sancerres there in England? Do you get them cheaper now since you're close to France? Um, well, that's a very interesting question, which we can have a whole <laughs> podcast about because I think um, because of the whole Brexit thing, it's going to get a bit more expensive. However, I was in such a flap and a rush to get my bottle of Sancerre in between, you know, like mummy duties and like um, dog pickups that I ran into the nearest um, grocery store and I picked up the first bottle of Sancerre I could find because I thought that's the criteria and, it, and it's like £15, which I think is between 25 and 30 dollars your money but my husband's away so i just thought why there not? you go <laughs> no judgment there you go and now you get to enjoy that whole bottle yourself <laughs> i know i know this is what i'm really excited about yeah <laughs> and kathy's drinking a sauvignon blanc as well I she's am. drinking I one know. of our um, new, newest finds it's a yeah, low calorie favorites it's a oh. sauvignon blanc it's called liquid light and i'm I really, it is very tasty, but I went into our liquor store in our, our one liquor store in our little town. We have a very little, in a very small community. And I asked for a Sancerre and I was trying to explain that it was a French wine and um, <clears throat> some of that got lost in translation. And so he was <laughs> looking for any label that had the word Sancerre and he was like, sincere? Uh, <laughs> well, that and day. so I just grabbed my Sauvignon Blanc. And I'm very happy with it. So yes, we all have Sauvignon Blanc is a good fallback. It's always a good, you know, staple. I think that's that's totally acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. But we are <laughs> celebrating talking to yeah, Claire so today. Cheers so to you, Claire. cheers, everybody can have a sip and yeah, definitely. Thank you. All very right. Nice to be here. So let's see. Let me get started. I guess um, with the first question. I already kind of mentioned this in the introduction, but I'm so curious on how you came to write about 1888 London. Did it just pop into your head or you've always been interested in um, history? And I'm definitely a history nerd. I love a bit of history. Um, but did I... I didn't know. It was a really odd sort of project, if I'm honest. Um, I love reading about history, but the thought of taking on anything historical fiction was really, really intimidating to me. So if you'd have told me I intended to write my first novel about Jack the Ripper and also, you know, historical, I, I no, I wouldn't have the gut <laughs> to do that. But um, it, it basically sort of I feel I feel kind of like it was thrust upon me, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, it was like an idea that first came up at a workshop, like I, for years and years before I could ever get anywhere near doing proper writing. When my little girl was quite small, I would do like creative writing workshops at a local college, a local, you know, adult education college part time, just to, you know, use your brain a bit, I think. And um you know, there was the usual eclectic characters in there. It was a bit like that yeah. bit in Star Wars, you know, when you, they walk into the bar, it was just completely random. Yes. Um, and we had to do that uh, writing exercise, um, but the teacher brought in um, actual newspapers. So it's actually all her fault, I should tell her. <laughs> she brought in newspaper articles from 1888 about the Ripper murders, 
before he was coined the Ripper. And we had to write, um, she was like, you've got to write about the killings, but you can't be a policeman and you can't be one of the victims. So I thought it was really obvious to write the next person in the chain of command. And I just thought someone, you know, he was probably married maybe or had a girlfriend so I wrote from that position and I suppose it stuck to me because everyone had such a strong reaction to it and so whenever I got stuck for ideas I kept reverting to that because it seemed to have a really good reaction and then basically long story short although I'm doing a good job of making it long um when I did my (laughs) MA I ended up using it for my dissertation and it became a novel so I didn't mean it I didn't mean it at all (laughs) (laughs) well it 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 is something that I mean as soon as we heard about it just the interest of that kind of mystery in itself was is a draw so I I could see why you know we keep coming back but when you were writing it did you or when you were researching it were you like oh this will be easy because nobody knows what it was like in 1888 so I can write whatever (laughs) Or were you like, I have got to get this right and it's a ton of pressure? Yes, because there's there's so many amazing historical writers out there. So I'm I'm quite a big fan of Sarah Waters. I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. heard of any Sarah Waters. Um, so she was always like the benchmark in my head. And obviously there's people like Hilary Mantle and the the thought of them, the, the detail they go to is crazy. So, yeah, I I. I really enjoyed researching. I enjoy research. I'm quite a sad hermit type creature. And I really <laughs> love geeking out on the detail. Well, you have definitely the right period of time for... Yeah. <laughs> There's so much written about that time that I was kind of spoiled for material. And it's kind of a good and a bad thing. So, so many people are interested in that era. That there's a lot of material to research. But at the same time, there's a lot of people with a lot of strong opinions about that era. Oh, so, that's true. Yeah. It's good and bad. It's good. You've got to get it right, you know? You do. Yeah. And you know, I was going to ask you, I'm I'm so curious because Jack the Ripper is really um, uh, a heavy presence in the U.S. I and mean, people are fascinated by it still. You know, we have a um, best-selling author, Patricia Cornwell. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with her. She went mm-hmm. down serious, you know, roads into this. I just this morning when I was checking out your social media, actually, on the award, I happened to um, come upon some social media posts about Jack the Ripper and like who are the most likely suspects. So people are really interested in it over here. What's it like in England? I mean, are they even more obsessed? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I I do think it's kind of like one of those weird, interestingly enough, I've never, and I'm going to ruin it now, but I've never been that interested in Jack the Ripper. And I was always a sort of Wednesday Adams like child. (laughs) So, you know, if, if you'd have told me again that out of all the serial killers that I'm aware of that I'd pick to write about Jack the Ripper, I'd be like, oh, there's a million more interesting ones, <laughs> you know. Um, so, and but it is, it's it's a very cultural, iconic, almost. It's definitely in the zeitgeist, as in it represents an underbelly of, I think, the British Empire that people like to cling on to because it gives that light and shade because you know it was a really interesting time and I think it's got great parallels to today in terms that's what I thought too when I was reading it I kept saying oh my gosh this is like they're you know when when they're um the nationalism like you know with the Uh uh-huh 
I don't want to go into everything, but yeah, I'll let you keep yeah. going. Sorry, I got excited. Yeah. No, 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 no. You're right. It's like um, there's a lot of immigration going on because of various sort of disruption across the world. Um, there's a one of the most. This is really sad and geeky, but I'll try and keep it um, succinct. But one of the key things I think about Jack the Ripper as being so well known is that at the same time, technological advances, they'd managed to start laying sea cables, which meant that telegrams could travel around the world much faster. So it's a bit like the internet in terms oh. of the speed wow. of information could travel around the world. So a news story broke in one place and within 24 hours, it could be in America, say, say London, New York. So this thirst for updates and thirst for content meant that quite a lot of the news became, if you like, clickbait. Yes. People were fighting for attention and newspaper sales went up and this was amazing because there was so much growth. Wow. But then you need more content and you know it, it's taken off all over the world so I think there are a lot of parallels also the great divide in terms of wealth so one of the reasons a lot of people I think in in the UK really cling on to Jack the Ripper is because there's a lot of pride complex pride around the British Empire and at the time you know London was the richest city in the world but only for a few people mm. Right. And yet they've got narrative a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, there's endless programs about Queen Victoria, know, endless programs. So, so Jack the Ripper is amazing cultural reference to get you to remember that there's an underbelly here of neglected, yeah. poverty-stricken people who can't work their way out of it. So, I, yeah, I think it's a really important cultural piece of English and British identity. That's really interesting. Uh, that's one of the things I really liked about your book, because it was talking about stuff that I had no idea, really, you know, because my images of that time frame is all, you know, proper, whatever, you know, and then you find out that there's this huge amount of like prostitution and, you know, things yeah. that, I mean, I didn't realize. So it was interesting. Yeah, I'm really intrigued, I think, even more so after doing the research about the Victorian era, because they're so like, it's it's like, the it, it is, again, similar to now, it's like there's no middle ground, there's a real polarisation into the binary of, you're either really prudish and really proper, mm -hmm. or totally sordid and twisted, and, you know, there was such an underbelly of sordid drug addiction and you know like like sex trade and trafficking it's quite a fascinating time but yeah it, it is an interesting research but again as I said there's so many people who've done so much research it's quite intimidating to take oh. it on well right. you did a great job I, I plus mean, I yeah. think there it seems like there's a lot of misinformation too during that time frame like you said because they were you know the news was trying to make yeah. news you know so <laughs> yeah you know so one thing I wanted to ask you about is in addition to this just the overlaying of the Victorian era and this serial murder and there is also more even more dark stuff there is um abuse, sexual abuse, and gaslighting, abusive relationships. I mean, you really, you, you dove deep in some really hard stuff, and I um, couldn't stop reading it. That's good. But there was, <laughs> it's so ripe. I mean, there's so much there. And so I was wondering, 
about like the gaslighting and the relationship between um, Susanna and her spouse, like what really holds you down that area? Because I really thought it added a lot to the story. Thank you. Thank you. I think I wanted, I've always been really intrigued by complex stories, you know, I, and with relationships as well, I, I, I think it just sprung up really out of the characters and, and what they would do. But I've got to say that the whole gaslighting thing, the fact that it's got a word, I didn't really get onto that until quite late in my life. But, um, you know, like, I don't want to give too much away, but at, yeah. at the center of it, there's a lot of narcissism. Mm -hmm. And there's, if you were going to diagnose someone, I suppose you'd say they were, had a bit of narcissistic personality disorder. And um, it surprises me how often and how common gaslighting is in relationships. And now I'm a bit sort of, you know, longer in the tooth. I think the benefit of getting older is you can cut through that. You can see it quite a yeah. lot. But I, I think it's a lot of a nod back to early relationships, I would say, mm -hmm. where it, it, it is so common. It's a common tool people use on each other to sort of create yeah. self-doubt in the other person. And if the other person is... Well, especially with, yeah, like you on. said, the, well, Sarah, our, your, Susanna, we don't want to give anything away, but she, she didn't have a lot of experience to bring with her to this relationship. Exactly. And it made her right yeah. for that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And insecurities and... Uh. Yes. And, and I think she's out of her depth class-wise because she's going up a bit of a rung. Mm -hmm. So... That's a cultural difference, isn't it? You know, you, yeah. you, you would doubt yourself because you're like, well, is this just what, you know, posher people do? Right. I, I don't know. You know, you, there's that element of self-doubt. And I think women as well are taught a lot to, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but I will because, you know, the sand's there. But um, <laughs> women are taught a lot to consider other people's feelings and consider oh, yeah. other people's opinions. And that makes them right pickings, as you say, for gaslighting, because mm -hmm. you're constantly trained to, oh, were you probably wrong? What about them? What about them? Whereas you've got one half of the population, especially in Victorian times, who weren't being taught to consider anyone else. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. I need a drink. Take a sip this. of wine. Okay. <laughs> Let's take a drink. So we are about midway. And um, Claire, this is what we usually, we like to um, ask the authors we get to talk to a question. We call it the question in the bottle. It's maybe the, something that you might get at the bottom of a bottle kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, this okay. is a good one. This is a good one. Okay. What weird or useless talent do you have? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I can, the first one that springs to mind is actually I'm, I can move my ears. You can move your like, ears? Only, you know, like the tragus, this bit here. Yeah. It's like I can waggle that. So really? I used it for years to convince oh, yeah. This is terrible, actually. It came up the other day. I, I've got two big front teeth. I'm not gifted in the teeth department. You know, that's a British thing, isn't that's, it? I'm I was going to, that's what popped in my head, but I'm like, ah, I'm not going to go there. No, 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 I'll go there. I'm told by Americans, yeah, you've all got terrible teeth, but um, I've got um, two big front teeth. For those of you listening, she looks lovely, just so it's you know. Not, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But now you need to uh, watch yeah. us on YouTube. <laughs> my daughter asked me when she's very, very little, why are your two front teeth so big? And I said, I used to be a rabbit. <laughs> and to prove it, I don't know why I said, you know, you just make things up. 
And to I prove do. it, I moved my ears, like the oh. waggled them up and down. And she thought that was conclusive evidence for years. It, it is. <laughs> yeah. And I, I then sort of spun off and then went, oh, because I was annoyed at my mom at the time, I said, yeah, nanny's a witch in real oh. life. And I was a rabbit and she caught me in her garden and she turned me into a human girl. <laughs> and she believed this for years. And she still brings it up now as in oh, like, that's so funny. so upset because she's like, I Shocking can't that you make one. things up for a living. I mean, it's really I know. Surprise. How old is your daughter now? <laughs> she's going to be 17 on Halloween. Oh. So the fact that she's still bringing it up as a source of bitterness is quite amusing to me. <laughs> That's that great. Is hilarious. Oh, I love it. Does your mother know that you did that story? Yeah, I told her. I was like, you were the wit in the story. <laughs> she thought that was hysterical, but um, I was like, yeah, you were the bad thing. <laughs> that's so awesome. Oh, okay, that's, that's great. That is not an answer I was expecting, I have to say. <laughs> I know. But it's pretty useless. I mean, you can move your ears. Great. I, I know, do yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, it makes a good story for your kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I am Christy and I are both um, writers as well. That's how we met at a writing at a writing conference. And I'm curious about um, one your path to um, publication from your community class that you were taking to publication. Uh -huh. And I'm curious also about what the differences are on getting published in England versus the U.S. Obviously, we only know about the U.S., so we're curious hmm. about your story. Like how you query um, or something, maybe. I don't know. All right. Okay. Um, so I took a master's degree for fun because I'm that sad. <laughs> um, in I love education, so I, I agree. Yeah, I do. Thank <laughs> you. But everyone looks at you like, what? You want to do Yeah, why what? would you do that? Fun? Yeah. <laughs> So I took a, a creative writing master's and part of the course, a lot of the course was about publishing and the publishing industry, which is the reason I chose the one I went on because it was quite practical. So basically I did this novel. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to exercise this demon about Jack the Ripper, write the novel. It's going to be my first novel. I'm going to get it out. And we were always told that you, you don't get published until two or three. Generally, you might write two or three. Expect that you know mm -hmm. um but this is how you write a pitch this is how you write a letter you need to do this you need to do that so I just did everything and I'm quite audio digital as in I do it I work with a lot of numbers um in my jobs I've, I've always worked in spreadsheets I actually devise my stories in spreadsheets I'm quite sad like that um <laughs> but <laughs> what I did was I wrote this novel and I kept rewriting it and rewriting it until I thought, you know what, you know, when you're just messing around with the word. Yeah. And it's like you're just swapping words out and you're like, this has no meaning anymore. I, I can't see what to do with it. So I started to try and get an agent and I got the writers and artists yearbook. And I went from a I was like, that's it. Um, I read an article that Scott F. Fitzgerald had I think 120 or something I'm sure that's wrong rejections before he got anything published so I was like well that's my benchmark so <laughs> I started my spreadsheet and I started pitching to agents and I picked off I researched the agents from A to D like literally I went through and I was going chunk at a time through the alphabet and um but I did have a connection to David, who is my agent, a very tenuous one, because I volunteered at a writers' festival, like a conference. 
and I was the um, assistant to one of his authors who he represented and she spoke very much about him so I thought okay I'll pitch to him and just luck would have it he asked for a full manuscript wow as did someone else and um, he came back first and invited me in for a meeting and you know I don't know what it's like in um, the US but I was like this has got to be a joke right you know it's not real <laughs> like I and I went up to for this meeting in Leicester Square in the middle of London like by Trafalgar Square and I thought this has got to be a joke it's going to be like a basement and a serial killer is going to be waiting for me <laughs> you know but no it was real it was a real wow. business and it was a real thing and and we had a meeting and at the end of it he said I'd, I'd like to represent you and I was like okay <laughs> and you're like yeah I must play hard to get but yeah very offensive, very hard to get yeah <laughs> yeah yeah wow and then I think I, I walked around like I went to the British Museum and I walked around London for about three hours thinking this can't be happening to me wow and then it took a year for him to sell my book to a publisher oh. yeah yeah so that's so that was like the up and then the down but you know the up and the downs yeah as you as you describe but I went for the traditional route I know other people have got signed publishing deals without agents what how's it work in the US then you know it's interesting I think it sounds very similar a traditional path I mean we would get um we have our own version of the book that you described you know that has all the yeah uh, you know agents who are looking and you query and um you know but everyone we've talked to always has a tweak on that traditional story who has been traditionally published. You know, that's why it's so fun to hear the different paths, I think. Yeah. And obviously because the U S is so big, they would never be like, yeah. Hey, come on down to my office. It's like you go, it's all email. And then all of a sudden you get a phone call, you know, and, um, and that's, that's our big hope or whatever. And, Kathy and I are both sort of in, like, I've queried a little bit, but then I went back yeah. and am editing again, you know, so we're still yeah. in that stage, so. But, you know, it's interesting. I, I literally live in South Dakota. I live up in the <clears throat> middle of the nation. Do you know where South Dakota is? Just curious. Roughly. I've heard of South Dakota. <laughs> I know it's inland. I know it's quite, it's not on the coast. It's kind yeah. of central. And very, um, very small population. And we're just, it's a very rural state. And I, and so there are no agents around here. I mean, there aren't even, there's yeah. no book industry around here, but I've always thought to myself when I fantasize about finishing the book, wearing the book, getting an agent, I think I would want to go have a meeting with somebody because this is a relationship that it, it has to be incredibly important. And I would want to know if I'm going to click with that person. Mm -hmm. I know. Crazy, I wonder if I, they do it zoom now because of the pandemic, you know? I think Zoom's better than just a phone call, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky. I mean, I know he has other people who are much further away in different countries. So mm -hmm. I'm just lucky that I'm in Southampton and I can actually travel to London. And I used to come from London anyway, so I'm more than happy to just jump on the train to yeah. go up there. But yeah, for me, I get what you mean. It's like you want to see this person and sort yeah. of get a sense of them because, you know, you're putting all your passion of your baby <laughs> into right. this person. So you've got to have an element of trust there. But yeah, yeah, I suppose I went the traditional route and I kind of was lucky, I think. But it took like, if you think, I, I wrote the book in 2016. I finished fannying around with it, if you can say that, in 2018. I got an agent in 2018. 
and it didn't get yeah it got published in 2020 so you know that's mm -hmm. four years yeah mm -hmm. and that's not unusual it's it yeah. sounds lucky no. but it's still the the norm i guess i mean yeah yeah it is luckier than some people but <laughs> some people go 10 years or something oh, and yeah. you're like wow yeah, but you know, the interesting thing I would like to ask is that I did all the other things that the, the course recommended, such as, you know, like I did um, short stories and flash fiction and got things published and built on my bio. Never, ever. Literally, it was so hard to get anything in a literary magazine. I don't know how. Yeah, I think it's very hard those. here because I've written yeah. some short stories and anytime I've submitted, I haven't. And it's like, ah, you know, it sounded so like it was hard. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is. Uh, there are some people that are short story writers that, you know, it takes them forever. They are just submitting, submitting, submitting. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, could be know. tomorrow. You just have to be ready. You have to keep writing. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so my friends, my friends used to call me, you know, Dumb and Dumber, the film. Yes. <laughs> you know, like the bit where she's like telling him no but he's saying so you're telling me there's a chance <laughs> yes, yes. they'd be like that's you with your rejections because right. <laughs> i'd be like statistically yeah. i'm closer to being accepted <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way to think of it actually yeah, so yeah. you keep going so what are you working on now are you continuing with um a, like this time frame or are you no. i mean are you <laughs> no. no no way um, i'd love to i i always said after i finished that book that never never again but actually no i would go back to historical fiction i i love it i just need the time to do the research mm. um and i have a day job and a nearly 17 year old and a husband and a dog and all that other stuff that you think actually i just need to sell up and live in a van if this is yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> but um I am working on my second novel, which is due out in June next oh. year. So that's called The Gone and the Forgotten, and that will be published in the UK in June. That's set in the 1990s. Okay. Um, I can and handle then that era. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's my sort of stomping ground of leaving school <laughs> era. Um, and then I'm going to, I've already started work on my third novel, which I can't share the name yet or anything about it because it's, you know, still, still in a work in progress. Stage. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm still going. Yeah. Yay. So, okay. yay. Yay. Yeah. And I've got, uh, you... I don't know about you guys, but I've got a ton of ideas. It's just getting the time to write them. Right. right. Oh, for sure. For sure. By the way, um, what was the name of the second novel that's coming out? Uh, the Gone and the Forgotten. You have a really, really good talent for um, novel names. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. And I think people, this is a great title. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to write that down and tell my agent because. Yes. Did you have to fight for that, for that title? No, no, no. It's about the seventh title I came up with and he was like, really? no, everything. No. And then I said that one and he was like, yes. Wow. <laughs> so thank you. Wow. But, um, I love it. Yeah. I love it's, it. I love titles it. are hard. Titles yeah. are hard. It's like naming your children. By the way, I never thought that would be that hard. It's really it was hard. It's a lot of responsibility. Difficult. Yeah, it's Ooh. hard. Um, I am curious now. You've got one done, two done, three is in the works. What do you? What's the best part of the writing life for you? Ah, oh, um, I would say I really love focusing. So I know that sounds probably really stupid, but. 
I love to focus uninterrupted. So mm. I think I'm probably a bit of a sort of, do you have that word banshee? Like a bit yes. of a, yeah, I'm a bit of a banshee when I'm writing. Oh, so yes. My poor family, my poor family are like, they walk in and they sort of say anything and I and I sort of scream at them like a banshee as if they've just interrupted Moses you know what I mean coming down from the mountain and in reality it's not but I really love just getting lost in a world yeah that's that's wonderful I think first drafts are really hard I don't enjoy them but once you've picked the structure out when you're actually really twisting the story and making it tighter I really enjoy that Mm. Do you have a um, set routine for your writing? You sound yeah, because you're a spreadsheet woman. I'm a spreadsheet. Oh girl. yeah, Kathy is the organized one. She loves a good spreadsheet. I do. <laughs> I, I mean, I like them for math, but I don't do it for my writing. <laughs> I do. I do do it for my writing. I have to have everything a spreadsheet. I do. I wonder if my agent does think I'm mad because whenever I mention that to me, he just laughs and rolls his eyes. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I have to have everything in a spreadsheet. The only thing that's in Word is the actual manuscript. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Christy has We can has keep one. talking, but I, I think I need to, <laughs> to go to our final question. Yes. Um, that appeases our mysterious foodies out there. That's what we call some of our listeners. <laughs> and so the question is, if you could... Um, which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be? Oh, that's tough. And it could be one that we don't know yet or one from the book. We're, we're open. Do you know what? I have real affection for Susanna, uh, the main protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. It's, I, I love characters. I love the way that they come and they just sort of take on a life of their own and do their own thing. I really love that. And they don't belong to you anymore. That's the best thing I love, I, I'd say, about writing a book and having it published the amazing reaction from people who really take those characters into your heart and then they mean something to them and that Mm -hmm. doesn't belong to me that's the the best thing but for me I would say I'd love to sit down and pick Susanna's brains because I reckon after the book finishes Mm -hmm. she lives a very interesting life that's what I put money on I reckon yeah. she goes and lives a, good a very ending, interesting life. By the way, yeah. we're not going to give a thing away, but the best ending. So good. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, love that. I, mean, I was like, yeah. Oh. yeah. And it was funny, too, because I was uh, on social media. I was like, I'm in the middle of reading it, and I'm wondering what's going to happen with Susanna. And you're like, I'm not going to tell. And I'm like, oh. yeah, I can't. I can't tell. So now I now want to know what happens afterwards, like you said. I'm just yes. going to be in our imagination yeah. until you write the sequel, maybe. I don't know. In, my head, in my head, I just imagine that she would be a really, really interesting old lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she you probably be. have, like, tea or something. Yeah. Like, I think maybe a, a little, a little stronger, I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking whiskey. Yeah, I don't know. yeah she, she would be a whiskey girl, wouldn't she, I think? I think so. She would definitely so. be a whiskey person. Okay, yeah. so Claire, if um, our listeners or viewers have any questions or want to reach out to you, what's the best way to find you? Um, I'm on Instagram as Claire Riley Whitfield. I'm on Twitter as Riley Whitfield. I've got a website, Claire Whitfield Books. So any, I mean, I'm on Facebook. So any, I always try and respond to all messages because I'm just grateful anyone's read my book, to be honest. <laughs> we will include but, all of those yeah. links 
with the episode Thank that comes you. out. Awesome. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So I guess we, we have one final thing we have to do. We have to yes. cheers. We'll be thinking of you tomorrow. <laughs> Yes, yes, good luck. Oh, God, yeah, I forgot about that for a moment. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> cheers. Thank you. Right. Cheers, cheers Thank to you, Claire. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On GameOfBooksPodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers.